you you just have this preconceived notion of living in a city what what you're capable of or what the environment is capable of just getting back to where food is supposed to come from i think is is just like a huge veil that is is immediately lifted once you get involved in the process welcome to farm on i'm your host joe phillips and once again i'm joined by vanessa beck hi joe how's it going it's going really well. Welcome back. Thank you. Let's talk about beekeeping for a second. So, Vanessa, this is your first year to really try beekeeping yourself, right? It is. I'm in year one. Um, and wow, what an experience. It's been incredible. Yeah. So what, what made you want to get into it in the first place? <laughs> well, have you ever seen uh, that program Pushing Up Daisies? No, I don't think so. Well, it was on a couple of years ago, and there's this woman, and she's in this beautiful dress on top of a roof, and she beekeeps in a dress. And I thought that sounded very romantic. Mm. And Doesn't that's it? kind of exactly how it's been for you, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, exactly like that. No, it hasn't. <laughs> so <laughs> beekeeping is nothing like that. Beekeeping <laughs> is all around putting on a bee suit and sweating it out and uh, figuring things out as you go. And So I've always been interested in bees. We've had beekeepers that have been friends of their family. Um, and so, you know, but they're more commercial beekeepers in New Zealand. And But, you know, you're always interested in, you know, how does the honey actually, how do you make, they make honey? Um, and... Uh, so have been interested in that and then just with um, you know climate change and colony collapse disorder and how important bees are to the environment. And so I know when you first started you were like I'm not gonna wear gloves because I saw somewhere <laughs> that um, that you don't have to wear gloves. No. And so how'd that go? Well you know obviously I was gonna wear a dress and no gloves right. uh, so that went terribly wrong so first day first we were, our bees first arrived didn't wear gloves and we introduced them to the hives and that was all fine because they're quite docile then they're very um, connected to their queen um, and then the second time beekeeping in the year um, I just reached over and picked up one of the frames and two bees came in and, and stung my finger and so for two weeks I had my pointy finger sticking out pointing quite well and the size of a sausage um yeah but we're not doing anything to try to ease uh people's fears about getting into <laughs> beekeeping so don't you feel like like a uh, sting is really just like a tax on the work that you're trying to do with them yes well i've, well, I've actually heard bee stings are good for you if you've got arthritis mm. they're actually good so if you can get past the throbbing um and it I mean, yes, when your hand's a bit swollen, it's not feeling uh -huh. too bad, too good. Oh, it makes me curse. It doesn't matter who's around, children, <laughs> babies, <laughs> grandmas. I'm dropping F-bombs. <laughs> the F-bomb, I was like, ooh, but I'm a joke. like you said, at the end of the day, we want the bees to thrive. We want them to live. And like you say in the interview, we don't just want to be a bee haver. We want to be bee keepers. We don't just want to be novices who try this out and get stung a few times and decide it's not for us. Like, we really want to be... Uh, partners with the bees and and really trying to help them do what they what they want to do naturally. So yeah, let's roll right into it. This is our interview with Naaman Gamble of the Hive in Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> so um, so I, was, I guess the first thing I want to know is like so the Hive is a free uh, uh, is a solely dedicated beekeeping supply store. Correct. Which. Um, I don't know if those exist in other cities. Do you? Have you ever seen? Do you know of any of them? There's, Portland mm -hmm. uh, has one, and I'm sure that there are others. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, none, 
none solely devoted to beekeeping right. in the city mm. right. until we opened. And so, uh, what, like, how long has it been open? Uh, we opened March 2nd of 2016. Okay. So, oh, so it hasn't actually been that long. No. But you seem long. so well established in the neighborhood. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I fake things very well. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we yeah we we opened up March March second of twenty sixteen, and um, it was really just because I had been beekeeping in the city for a while, mm-hmm. and taught a quite a few classes um, when I was at Garfield Park Conservatory, and knew that there was you know kind of a need for it, mm-hmm. um, and there's some other stores where you can get odds and ends and smokers and that type of thing, but we wanted to be a source for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to uh, going online or buying from a big beekeeping store, uh, they do exist. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> but do. but there's you know there's nothing in in the city of Chicago, and with over uh, a thousand beekeepers around the Chicagoland area, it was it it seemed like a yeah. decent enough idea. Mm-hmm. A thousand, I don't yeah. I don't know that. So how, how have you come up with that number? So uh, in the state of Illinois, you have to, or you're supposed to, register your hives okay. with the Department of Agriculture. As a registry. <laughs> and and so uh, and that really helps with a website and um, a, a drive to to register hives, so that if there are pesticides, herbicides sprayed, then uh, they can notify beekeepers. Mm. So there's a site that's called driftwatch.org. Mm. Um, and so you can actually go online and you can see all of the mm. registered beekeepers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good data. <laughs> oh, I need to check and see if we're up to date. <laughs> I know they sent me a letter and I think it's sitting sure. on my stack of letters. Right. That's like How, this high now. You had this many. Do you uh, still have this many? That's pretty much right. it. Yeah. You circle yes or no yeah. and send it back. The, hard, the hardest part is finding your GPS coordinates and yeah, uh, that's, yes. that's it. Yes. And how long had you been beekeeping before you started the store? Uh, so I had been beekeeping um, here in the city for five years and taught many classes. And I grew up on a small family farm, what would be considered kind of hobbyist farm by where, today's standards. Where'd you grow up? Um, south of Terre Haute, Indiana. Hmm. Um, so grew up on 48 acres. Mm-hmm. Um and had pigs and chickens and ducks and uh, rabbits and bees. Uh, and, you know, it was, it was one of those things that it was there. I didn't really appreciate it probably like, like I should have. But, it was, you know, if, to most kids, it's like, oh, that's just another chore, you know, mm-hmm. to, you know to either harvest honey or to, you know, slop the pigs. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those things that uh, I don't want anything to do with that. So, mm-hmm. um so yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma, and uh, farming was always just around, and people gardened a lot. But I was just like wanted to skateboard, watch MTV, uh, right? Skateboard, watch more MTV. <laughs> that was pretty much it. And then it wasn't until I came to Chicago that I kind of like discovered like local food and right. urban farming and the importance and, of it, and mm-hmm. and you know being away from it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what you know kind of you realize what your roots are when you are so far removed from them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're in this, an urban environment such as Chicago, mm-hmm. um, your, your true self shows out yeah, or comes out. And, and uh, you know, I really did miss that 
aspect of it, growing things and getting my hands dirty and being outside because it seems like so much of city culture is hustle and bustle and Mm -hmm. uh, hurrying back to your home where you can watch Netflix or (laughs) listen to the radio or, you know, find some way to uh, decompress. But I miss that, Mm -hmm. that physicalness Mm -hmm. of, of rural life. Mm -hmm. Do you have brothers and sisters out there? I do. I've got uh, an older brother um, who uh, still lives in Terre Haute. He practices law with my, with my dad. Mm -hmm. And then my younger sister is now in law school. She's Mm -hmm. eight years younger. She's uh She's in India now, actually, mm. uh, doing uh, some work with uh, gender rights and gender equality in, in India. Fantastic. So oh, you were like the... family. <laughs> and you were like the black sheep. I'm the black the sheep, yes. <laughs> of course, yeah. I'm the middle child. I Yeah. Uh, and was farming like a family business? I mean, we're, we're, no, not... Okay. So my father being a lawyer, um, my right. mom is a... Is a uh, as a nurse, uh, RN, and also uh, uh, public servant. So mm-hmm. it was it was one of those things that I think it was my dad's way of, of decompressing, and my mom really mm-hmm. l- loved gardening as well. Um, so it was one of those things that just, that was their release mm-hmm. um, from their day-to-day, which they instilled in us. But 45 acres, that's, that's not just hobby. I mean, I know you're saying hobby, but you know, that's still a lot of work. You need to come home from work and do your garden right. every weekend. Yeah. You're well, doing that's, stuff. that's what we were for. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to... Uh, Why did they stop at three kids? Right? should have had eight. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we had, you know, uh, two large gardens mm-hmm. um, by Chicago s- standards, mm-hmm. for sure, um, that, we, that we took care of. But yeah, I mean, you know, mowing the lawn and mm-hmm. um, taking care of the animals. I mean, you know, you'd wake up, and I think that's one of the reasons that I kind of fought against it. You'd wake up in the morning for summer vacation and you're like, okay, here's your list that you need to do today. It's like, well, I don't want to do, I'll do two of those, mm-hmm. 12, um, you know, but, but yeah. And I think most... Uh, I was going to say city kids, but actually any kids probably don't realize that like summer's off were not just because the weather's nice. It's because they were supposed to be working on the farm. And now like no one really does that. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, in where we grew up, that was still a common practice where, you know, you you have kids that even if school wasn't over, Mm -hmm. if it was time to to tassel corn, you were detasseling corn, you know. Yeah, so, no question about it, right? And, but, I mean, it's it's fantastic work that, I mean, really instills good work ethic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever put up hay, you know, and <laughs> that was my first real job, you know, and you made, you know, cents on per bale. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that, that that's real work that I think everyone should have the the joy of, of uh, doing at least once in their life. So explain what putting up hay is, because I think I know what. So putting up hay, so your alfalfa fields, mm-hmm. you know, where you've got clover grass, uh, once it gets high enough, mm-hmm. uh, the the farmer will cut that down so that they can um, cut it uh, and then bale it and then feed it to the animals. Um, so, you know, what typically happens, it, it is the hottest day of the year mm-hmm. that because you want, want the hay to cure. Dry. Uh, so, yeah, dry, cure. <laughs> and, and so it's super hot. And being southwestern Indiana, it's super humid. And your bicornfields are, you know, 
<laughs> very humid environment, and you're just going around picking up these bales of hay and tossing them onto a flatbed truck, mm-hmm. where you can th- then you go uh, to a, a barn mm-hmm. to then put it up in the loft where it's even warmer. Uh, <laughs> where the heat's really been trapped. Yeah, in yeah. All day. yeah. So you've got you know bales of hay that typically weigh like you know anywhere from 45 pounds to. 65, 85 pounds, depending on how wet it is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and then they're like itchy and sticky, and right? Scratch. Oh yeah, you're you're <laughs> just you know, to add to the. <laughs> that was my first experience with like finding a good linen work shirt. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like the lightest but yet long sleeve shirt uh-huh. that you can find. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. That you don't tear up your your uh-huh. your wrist with it. Yeah. Yeah. So would you say that beekeeping is kind of like the thing that you, like, did you gravitate more towards that work than other types of farm work or gardening? Like, why did you sort of take that on when you got to Chicago? It was totally by accident. Hmm. Um, so I was doing, I was volunteering with my wife um, because I, I was, uh, I went to school to be a teacher, a social, social studies teacher, hmm. uh, and was one for um, uh, four years uh, but I graduated in 2007, so I was introduced to the <laughs> the Great mm-hmm. Recession <laughs> right out oh, the bat, right, right, right. and yeah. uh, because I didn't have tenure, um, mm-hmm. kept getting let go at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, maybe we'll have a position for you if we have enough, you know, students. And uh-huh. so it was just a a constant uh, stop start on a career that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, during one of those summers, looking for new teaching opportunities. My wife found Garfield Park Conservatory when we were living over on Austin. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, she was like, you got to check this place out. Um, I think she also wanted me out of the house. (laughs) So so I volunteered with her and, you know, loved the space, loved the, you know, talking about getting your hands dirty, talking about growing plants, talking about the importance of pollinators. And uh, after volunteering there for a few weeks, um, got hired part time, and then um, their head beekeeper left, and it kind of led to a a, a a vacuum, which they're like, "Hey, you're a country kid, you know, you know how to do some of these things. Are you comfortable with bees?" Yes, or more so than most, I would assume. And now you are the the beekeeping guru. We buy our stuff from you, but then we've every time I think we go with a list of twenty questions. Um, to to ask you, you know, our bees are doing this. Why <laughs> is it time for this? I don't know. Yeah, well, and <laughs> what box do I know? <laughs> exactly. Here, are, here are all the all the different things that I'm thinking about. Am I correct in these things? Yeah. Right. But I think that's that's one of the many reasons that I I love beekeeping, and mm-hmm. we started a store because it's an ongoing education. It's mm-hmm. an ongoing experience. Mm-hmm. I don't have it right. I wouldn't consider myself a guru, but I've also made more mistakes than most probably. So, you know, I've, I've tried to learn from those. Um, and I just love how, you know, beekeeping is a choose your own adventure book, you know, and it totally, you know, because, uh, okay, so here's the scenario. The, the bees look to be, you know, uh, overpopulated so do I need to add another super or should I do a split or should you know you have all these different scenarios that you're constantly bombarded with or and what it, am I what am I even looking at right sometimes you know like right when I the first couple of years I was beekeeping I just would look and I would I had read things mm-hmm. but you still I mean unless you have somebody right next to you who's an expert and can identify things 
You don't even know what you're seeing half yeah. the time. I mean, it's so unique. Unique. It's such a mysterious thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that um, you know, you go to a an auto repair shop, and you know, you're you're relying on them to diagnose the problem, or mm-hmm. or a doctor, and think about how many times things are misdiagnosed, or you don't mm-hmm. really solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, couple that fact with we're inserting ourselves into a natural. Mm-hmm. <laughs> something natural, something something that has survived and been around for thousands of years, and mm-hmm. we're trying to do it as seamlessly as possible. Mm-hmm. And if we do it that way, we're getting it right. Yeah, and we're trying to control it a little bit, and it's a bit, and it's yeah. weird because this is nature, and and it's really hard mm-hmm. to control nature. Mm-hmm. For but sure. What I really like when I come in and ask my questions is you never make me feel dumb. You know, you never say <laughs> why are you even a beekeeper. Stop. <laughs> make me feel dumb. I just feel dumb. <laughs> Any help? <laughs> <laughs> you you know you just talk me through it really calmly and you, you actually make me feel like I know what I'm doing which is great Good. so I'm um, glad. So thanks for that and <laughs> and then we continue our beekeeping journey and we'll we'll keep coming back yeah. <laughs> with another twenty questions. Fantastic. <laughs> I was going to mention that too. Like um, the nice thing about the hive is you know that everything you need is going to be there, so that's nice. But it's like the way you disseminated the information to us wasn't like. I'm going to tell you what you need, so stack it up here. It was like starting with a question. Well, what what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Like, and how active of a beekeeper do you want to be? Like, what's your approach? Because here's what, like you said, here's what's happening in nature. So do you want to control it or do you want to let it do its own thing? Or, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of that choose your own adventure that you mentioned was really helpful. Yeah. You know? And now you've got this new product. Um, I saw when I was there, and there are those bits of um, cloth mm-hmm. with, a, I'm guessing, beeswax and some other stuff on it that you can use instead of um, plastic wrap. Uh, yeah. So I like how you're like diversifying into these things that you could actually, you know, make yourself or buy there. Um, What's that? How does that work? It's a it's yeah. a it's a reusable beeswax sandwich wrap. Um, huh. And actually, my my wife has spearheaded that. I think she she mm. loves a. Uh, uh, Pinterest and mm-hmm. and she saw some of those and like oh well we should be making those and mm-hmm. so yeah she's my uh, my R and D she so she's done the candles and and now the the beeswax wraps but um, yeah I mean that's one of the great things about beekeeping is that there's so many venues that you can mm-hmm. go down whether it be carpentry whether it be mead making um, and you know or you know just the genetics involved if you want to raise queens and you're you know, of the scientific mind and want to, you know, have your own line of bees. Mm-hmm. There's just so many different, you know, places that you can go with beekeeping. Mm-hmm. So back to the sandwich wrap, how does that work? So, so <laughs> I can't even picture this. It's, it's a hundred percent cotton cloth. We try to get organic if we can. Um, and then what we do is we uh, take really good quality, pure beeswax that we, um, we harvest or we get from, cutouts, wild hives that we remove from, from locations. Um, and we'll, we'll melt that down, um, and then form a block. And then we can take shavings from that and kind of just like with a cheese grater on top of the cotton cloth, put it in the oven so that it melts uniformly, hang it up to dry. And, uh, then you have a reusable sandwich wrap that or, you know, food. So we're making different sizes for, you know, so keeping cool. your bread fresh. So you have a, you know. That's so cool. Yeah, taking plastic out of the world. But what do you mean um, pure wax? 
So uh, just, uh, I mean, it, you, you'll notice as a beekeeper when you go into uh, a hive where you've had frames for a long time that mm-hmm. that beeswax uh, has become darker, yeah. like dark brown, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that original wax is that pure white that you see uh-huh. on capped honey. Mm-hmm. So we try to take that finer quality wax. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now we're kind of, you know, kind of making different sets of wax. Uh, okay, so here's a, a quality wax that we can use to make more foundation. Here's a quality wax that we can use for candles. Here's a quality wax that we can use for uh, sandwich wraps. Yeah. Is it pure wax because it's just not mixed with the rest of the comb? Like it's just on top? Is that what makes it pure? Uh, well, so that newer wax starts off on that, that beautiful white yeah. Um, so color. Babies have been born in it. Right. Yeah. And there's nothing. Yeah. And bee bread in it. It's, think. Think yeah. about a carpet. You know, a white carpet that you know um, you have a runner in your house, and it starts out beautifully white, <laughs> right? But uh, over time, it uh, it develops different colors as well. So kind yeah. of the same method as bees. You know, are loaded with pollen. They're walking around. They're transferring that. Um, baby bees being born out of it give give off color notes as well. Uh, That's cool. Yeah. So hearing you talk and like knowing that you were a teacher for, what'd you say, four years, Mm -hmm. I can't really imagine you wanting to go back to the classroom. Can you, (laughs) I mean, I, cause I've done classroom teaching as well and, and, uh, got my education degree. But now that I'm like working outside with kids Mm -hmm. and urban farming stuff, I can't even imagine like being in a classroom (laughs) with books and a flat screen thing or whatever and and having you know the state curricula that you have to teach and that type of thing yeah i I mean that maybe maybe i've kind of lost a a little bit of that i still get the i you know love being around kids i love being able to uh teach what i can um and i think that's why you know uh my newest side venture (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh working with cps and working with uh students with special needs to um, teach those kind of life skills that they can hopefully employ themselves mm-hmm. um, is it, it kind of checks all the boxes where I get to you know scratch that itch so mm-hmm. to speak and and be still a bit of a teacher and mm-hmm. um, even and my classroom is you know outside or even if it's inside we're talking about outside stuff you Talk know? About, so how did you get into that how did you get connected with that school in Inglewood so um, I ha- explain where Inglewood is so Inglewood is on the south side of Chicago uh, the school that I teach at is 74th and Hoyne, mm-hmm. um, and it is in, I mean, a food desert. It's in a mm-hmm. uh, underappreciated area of Chicago, and these students are there to learn and not only learn, but to become more um, utilized in, in the sense of society. You know, I, th- I think they're an all already um, undervalued uh, member of society being of special needs and what we want to show is we want to empower the students mm-hmm. so we're going to teach them uh, something that they can uh, utilize in a vocation mm-hmm. we're going to teach them that they uh, should be uh, their greatest advocate um, so it was one of those things that I I came to do a little beekeeping talk and kind of that was my first mm-hmm. foray into um, both special special needs teaching um, and also this amazing school in, in Inglewood. And it was one of those things that you just see potential, you know, I mean, <laughs> you drive down all these streets in the city of Chicago and you look at these old buildings that are maybe a little bit mm-hmm. beaten up, but you're like, boy, if I had yeah. 
some money and got the time. South facing yeah. lawn and right. like, you know, the no, beautiful brownstones and uh, limestone houses are, you know, it's, it's just one of those. And so this school has all of those features of that just really like, Oh boy, if I can, if I can pour myself into this place mm-hmm. and make it a little bit better, mm-hmm. boy. Mm-hmm. And it's just so rewarding. That's cool. I go there every day and, you know, I, I, there's there's nothing bad I can say about both the the faculty or the students that I teach. You know, most mm-hmm. high school students, you're striving for them to pay attention, and you know, you've got the typical teenager "woe is me," <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But mm-hmm. these kids are there seeing all their friends, mm-hmm. and they're seeing people that um, value them. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing school. And now it's not small. You know, we've got our two goats and our two hens mm-hmm. and our four beehives. But you've got quite a lot more than that, haven't you? We, we are <laughs> we're really ramping up the scale for sure. <laughs> we've got two beehives. Okay. Um, we're beating you on that. <laughs> yeah, you've got me there. Um, and now we've got uh, 30 fruit trees, uh, apples, pears, and cherries. We've got a poultry yard and coop that the students helped build in the carpentry class. Um, and we've got 22 ducks and 24 chickens. Um, and we actually incubated the ducks too, oh, uh, wow. a bit of them. Yeah. Uh, so we've got uh, the ones that hatched out are really our favorites and they're kind of tagged do not call list, <laughs> right? Um, don't name animals, don't name animals. But these three, these three are great. Are, are, grandfathered in um for sure but uh you know it's it's great so we're you know trying to you know instill procedures and protocols and we're you know we're figuring it all out too because this is a larger scale than most people are accustomed to so you know our our students have schedules of okay this is we're going to clean out the coop and this is what we need to clean out the coop and now we're going to be taking that uh fertilizer and putting it into our worm bins or you know um setting up a system yeah and what do they do with the eggs? Do they get to use them? Well, because I know CPS has like some kind of rigid sure. guidelines for food and stuff. Right, and we're trying to navigate those yeah. murky waters a bit as well. But yeah. uh, what we're hoping to do, I mean, we're really kind of you know setting up a self-sufficient mm-hmm. closed-loop system. And really, one of the goals is that this become this school becomes a focal point of the community, mm-hmm. becomes a marketplace, mm-hmm. uh, a green marketplace where cool. the the lettuce and vegetables that we grow uh, can be sold at a market or in terms of the eggs, which we're hoping to have in September, you know, we'll probably start off with uh, kind of a faculty staff buyback program Mm -hmm. um, to help supplement that. And then as we, and we're working with uh, uh, Chaz, the Chicago uh, School of Agricultural Sciences. Mm -hmm. uh, And, you know, because they've, they've already been the spearhead of a lot of these programs. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, taking some of the things that we can replicate in our own setting. Awesome. And they're on the South side as well somewhere. Yeah. They're yeah. far Southwest side. So as, okay. as far Southwest as you can go, just, uh, okay. West of Beverly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cause eggs is, a, is an interesting one to talk about because the rest of the world doesn't put their eggs in the fridge. Mm-hmm. And so then you come to America and you're putting your eggs in the fridge. And I was, mm-hmm. I was wondering why I was thinking, Oh, well, America knows best. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should be putting our eggs in the fridge. And then yeah, I find well, out. I wondered, yeah. What is the deal with that? Well, apparently it's the washing. So you wash your eggs intensely. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe. Ble- intensely. <laughs> intensely. Intensely <laughs> washing of the eggs. Um, and I don't know. I'm guessing for some kind of health reason, mm. but it's taking a layer yeah. off. Um, and then the I, bloom, you're taking the bloom off. You're taking the bloom off. But I, and then there's also the, your eggs are very white. 
Mm. And I don't think that's it's, they're an unnatural white, aren't they? It's our Puritan roots. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm guessing some kind of bleach or something. I mean, on those? it could just be the variety itself. I'm not yeah. entirely sure. I've never um, seen them so white. Um, but there, so then, therefore, there's not that bloom on the outside. And so why are they why are they taking that bloom off? Is it poisonous? The rest of us haven't died. Uh, well, and that's one of the things that that I'm reading about is you know uh, how to handle and wash eggs, and really you don't yeah. want to scrub so vigorously that it would remove that coating. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know because because that's what keeps the bad things out. Um, yeah. The anti it's the bacteria. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So because um, an egg can last what a month, two months on the shelf. I've heard months if it's if you've got the right. Uh, not entirely sure. <laughs> well, because um, my mum would cut, so our farm, I'm not actually, even though I'm from New Zealand, we don't have a farm. <laughs> and uh, I was called a townie at school. Uh, right. Um, judged harshly for not, you know, being part of lambing or uh, tailing or um, that kind of thing. And so um, our friends, the Carters, would come to town and my mum would cut their whole family's hair. Um, my mum's not a hairdresser, but she seemed to have the tools and was willing to give it a go. <laughs> Um, that she was on the lambs. And they would pay us in eggs. Um, oh, and then okay. we and so they would just sit and we didn't eat them really quickly, so I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And then we would have a pig bucket. Um, so there was compost, rubbish, and a pig bucket. And so the carters would also take the pig bucket away for their pigs. For so the there was that kind of swapping uh, over. Yeah. yeah. For the slopping the pigs. Yeah. 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 But no, I hadn't until I came here. I hadn't seen eggs in the fridge. Most of the world doesn't mm. refrigerate, right? But then I think you can present that to whoever you're presenting your your argument to. Right. Um, I'll when, I'll draw upon you as an expert witness. Yeah, if you could. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I go up the CPS hierarchical chain and say, "Well, sir, we'll yeah. call the Carters madam. in yeah. New Zealand. <laughs> hey, Mr. and Mrs. Carter, yeah. tell us about your eggs." So. Um, Related to that, uh, I used to work at a charter school um, on the southwest side called AGC. And when I was there, we we piloted the Eat What You Grow manual. Mm-hmm. So that before that, CPS didn't have any way to take um, food from the garden and legitimately yeah. <laughs> use it. <laughs> so we started that. And um, at the time, it was just like, well, how do we you know write this? And then how do we like pilot it so that it can be a model but now I guess there's like hundreds of schools that use it but um maybe not to the scale that you guys well <laughs> yeah I'm, uh, yeah Drew Thomas is uh the head of uh CPS garden program school garden programs and um yeah he's been a good resource and uh, a good friend for of Southside um and also on Slow Food Chicago um where where, where I know him from on the board but um yeah you know I think it's one of these things that it's this groundswell that has slowly started to, mm. you know, um, take hold here in the city. Yeah. So now we're just kind of, you know, seeing uh, how how uh, big and hairy this 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 hairy idea can yeah. get. How crazy can we make it? <laughs> right. It's weird yeah. that it's crazy because it's a yeah. it's a relearning. Yeah. Isn't yeah. It? It's that we've lost yeah. this ability to know how to just eat food from its source. Yeah. Um, and now we're having to relearn how to do that. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's amazing that you're doing this at a school for children with special needs. But don't you just feel like it should be normalized? Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I think you you just have this preconceived notion of living in a city what what you're capable of or what 
the environment is capable of. Mm-hmm. You know, I, they're, they're, nature knows no bounds, you know, in a sense that you can take a little community garden or a little plot, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and really have productive um, <laughs> mm-hmm. bounty that, mm-hmm. that, that does so many things for yourself. You know, I mean, just getting back to where food is supposed to come from, I mm-hmm. think is, is just like a huge veil mm-hmm. that is, is immediately lifted once you get involved in the process. Mm. And when the mystery is taken away, I think a lot of people think that growing is mysterious Yeah, and, and it's really not. You just, oh, I have, just, I've got a brown thumb. I can't grow anything, yeah, no, right? Yeah. Yeah. Have you got water? Ear, because that's all they really need. Right. <laughs> you know, you know kind of like bees, though, right? You know, in the sense yeah. that, like, they're gonna do what they're what mm. they know what to do. You know, what what we just want to do is is culture that, cultivate that a little mm. bit more. Mm. Yeah, which uh, is kind of reassuring, isn't it? Like they do know what they're doing. Right. Um, and so, yeah. Other than when we're trying to control them, they've got it. Those yeah. girls have got it. <laughs> right. And I don't really have to worry too much. <laughs> I need to protect them a little bit yeah. when some bad things come along, but. Other than that, they're, they've got it figured out. Yeah. I don't have to tell them, those are the flowers, so you need to fly from here, but only when you're old enough, right. over to that flower right. and come back. I didn't mm-hmm. have to do any of that. They no. knew, which was which was nice. And that's the same with, with growing. You don't have to really do too much. Just put that seed in the in the soil and you'll be amazed. Let it, let it do what it, what it does, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, I've been thinking about that idea a lot because I've, um, preparing for a, an interview with this um, guy, Larry Korn, who um, translated from Japanese the book uh, One Straw Revolution, um, which um, was kind of a big like permaculture kind of prototype title. Um, but the, the man that it's about, M- Masanobu Fukuoka, the Japanese farmer, I hope I said it right, um, he, reading his philosophy is so sounds so fresh because his whole philosophy is just like don't cultivate don't till don't Mm. don't turn anything over don't try too hard just take seeds of every kind and just broadcast Mm -hmm. and then see what actually thrives in that one little micro area and then go from there Mm. and it's going to look crazy but that's really what the way that nature works so let's just replicate it you know yeah um so, um, do you consider yourself to be a heavy-handed beekeeper, or just like a let them do what they want kind of oh, thing? That's a that's like, a good question, and because I feel like there's different oh, for schools sure. of thought about sure. how you approach the job. Yeah, and uh, I'm definitely not a Type A personality, mm-hmm. uh, you know. So I think that's reflective in my beekeeping a bit. Mm-hmm. But you know, uh, as I tell people, there are many ways to beekeep and beekeep su- successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, but my entire ethos of beekeeping um, is if it make, makes logical sense mm-hmm. and you're trying to help the bees, go with it, right? Uh, because they can't communicate to us directly. We have to read the signs and that um, those nuances that the bees kind of present themselves, um, which you learn even more over time. Um, but I think you know, if you're trying to help the bees, because that's the role of a beekeeper. They know what to do. You're just inserting yourself as seamlessly as possible mm-hmm. and directing them where where you think that they could have greater success. So 
it's it's finding that balance, mm-hmm. and much like what you were talking about with, you know, when you were talking about um, the Japanese ethos or, or this this gentleman's ethos of of farming, mm-hmm. you know, when you think about contemporary farming. And how much of it is industrialized, and how much of it it is all about control, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's 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 producing higher yields and minimum minimal costs, and mm-hmm. I get all that from a, a business perspective. But at the same time, you you still have to understand where you're coming from and what you're trying to accomplish. And you know when you when you dehumanize it mm-hmm. and uh, and take out the natural elements of it, mm-hmm. what are you really left with? Well, now the cool thing with like the whole kind of permaculture revolution since the 70s is the idea that getting back to those more natural methods is actually producing higher yields per acre or whatever. And and better. But it doesn't look as nice. No. <laughs> well, that's that's actually a really good point because I think one of the things things that I have to be honest about as a gardener or as a beekeeper or whatever is is that how am I being perceived by mm. people from the outside right you know does my plot look crazy and messy and haphazard and uh-huh. full of weeds or does it look like it's in neat tidy rows yeah. and I'm like really in control of the situation yeah the you know? the the public perception mm-hmm. of what it I can and and it's probably more so you know at least as a beekeeper you're kind of <laughs> it's all enclosed they don't know what's going on right, yeah, right. sometimes uh, right sometimes most <laughs> in most cases and you're shrouded in a veil they don't even know who you are <laughs> but you know as as a, a farmer you know you're you're judged and you know I growing up you know, farmers are judged by the way that their field. Oh, they haven't gone out and tilled yet. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 they haven't taken in the that corn. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's November. What are they doing, right? It's like, hey, Frank, you got your uh, soy <laughs> beans in yet? What you waiting on, you lazy bum? I already got my winter wheat. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. I had a friend in uh, Switzerland, and he was farming there, and he learned a bit of Swiss, but well, not too much. And uh, he, but he was doing everything very naturally, and it was even using a scythe. Um, and there was mm. this one old farmer that lived next to him, and every time he was doing something, especially when he was like, cutting with the scythe or sharpening the scythe, and this old man would always walk past saying, oh, I wouldn't do it like that, <laughs> and then just keep walking. Like, mm. no, <laughs> right. no, no advice on how to do it, but just, mm. oh, no, I wouldn't do it like that. <laughs> Armchair farmer is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, you know, we've... For me growing up, it was all about straight lines. My, mm-hmm. um, I'm guessing my father is that type A that you're talking about, and, and all mm-hmm. my brothers are as well. So you go and see their vegetable gardens, and they all look mm-hmm. exactly the same yeah. as my father's with mm-hmm. the straight. You know, there was a string used. Yeah. A string used. We did as well. And, yeah. every, and the tilling, we dug over those gardens so, again so often. Again again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so now one of my brothers, middle child, um, is starting to do the permaculture. So things are Great. looking, he's, and he's having to let go of all these straight lines yeah. and just yeah. allow it to, to be. Well, and that's the thing. Then you have to, at some point, prove your theories by showing that you have a yield. But mm. it takes time, and so mm-hmm. it's that middle stage where you're being judged and what's he yes, doing and he must yeah. be crazy and yeah. poor him <laughs> <laughs> and then with your orchard um working on orchards back home and my university holidays um you know you'd see this really amazing fruit and you never saw that in the store mm. in new zealand 
come to America, we were sending it here. We send you the beautiful mm, fruit. Yeah. Um, and But that's the thing, is that the beautiful fruit doesn't always taste the best. Mm-hmm. No. And so it's re-educating people about that as well, because you've got your fruit trees uh, down mm. at the school. Right. Are, you, are you having to educate people that the the one that's you know a bit gnarly is yeah. actually the best tasting one? You know, um, so we, we did some... Um, some heavy pruning um, this late winter going going into into the spring um, and we're starting to see some really good results from that so we have um, this is year five I think so this is you know first year that we should really expect to get mm-hmm. something out of it so you know you've got those little blights on it you know um, and oh that that apple has spots or yeah it's it's malformed it's not a perfect you know apple shape is that still okay and funny funny enough uh, actually tasted some of the granny smiths that we had and you know both me and uh, our principal were were taking a bite and he's like that tastes like an apple. <laughs> it's like, okay. I haven't tasted that in a while. Right. <laughs> oh, that's the pear tree. No, uh, no. But no, it, it's it's one of those things that it's this whole breaking down the the stereotypes and the social norms of, of what we've been indoctrinated with of uh, what an apple should look like. And, you know, for years we've been uh, in your school brown bag lunches had those tasteless red delicious Apples, you know, mealy, <laughs> mealy, oh. yes. But they look so beautiful on the outside, right? Yeah. And that's you know, coated with wax and shipped to us from wherever. And you know, that's all that we were known. But yeah, you know, now we have these opportunities where we can show the next generation that it doesn't have to. Looks aren't important. Mm-hmm. Um, what what it looks like isn't important. It's what's on inside. And you know, a very kind of hokey cliche to the school that that I teach at. But I think that's that's something mm-hmm. that we're striving to do there as well. So, um, what's what's in the future for the hive? What's in the future for you, or what's going on? Well, um, you know, it's it's <laughs> learning beekeeping, or you know, kind of really diving into beekeeping is 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 quite difficult enough. But now it's it's into the the world of entrepreneur, and mm. Uh, mm. <laughs> which I hate that word. I wish there was a better word. It just kind of sounds yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. But there's no, I mean. Uh, I'm I'm trying to find a way to make my own living, which I mean, mm-hmm. that's what everyone else that moves to the city tries to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Community business owner. Yeah, there you go. There you okay, go. I like that. Okay. That's much better. <laughs> and it definitely is a community. I mean, that's why. Uh, for those who don't know, the store is located in uh, North Lawndale, mm-hmm. which is typically not a, um, a common destination for mm-hmm. urban beekeepers. I would I would think. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's it's an underserved community as well. But in a less well, a little over a year, we've really cultured a little a little family there. So you know, we've got um, you know three employees that that are all from the area. Uh, Rosie, our our store manager, is is uh, just two blocks away, um, and so yeah, it's the sense of community, and that's what these areas of Chicago that are underserved and undervalued need. Mm-hmm. It's investment. And how did you how did you um, like bring in these employees or, or people who are helping out? Like, did you just set up shop and they became interested, or did you do outreach, or how did that how did those relationships? You know, it get definitely going? was was kind of that. You know, I'm here's you know a, a white guy, a mm-hmm. white thirty year old that's mm-hmm. out out in uh, North Lawndale that's you know working with a bunch of stuff that a lot of people haven't seen before, and you know a, a new guy on the block, mm-hmm. and so it was just you know 
you know, foot traffic. Attracted where people, attention. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> I, I stuck out. Um, and then they came in, and, you know, it, it's, it's, it just kind of took off from there. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's cultivated. It's grown. And, it, you know, you become a, a, a member of the community. And I, I also think, you know, having uh, the Slow Food Preserve Garden being mm-hmm. just down the street from our store where, you know, we'll, I'll be there, you know, on work days and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's really, you know, I'm not just someone that just moved into the area looking for a quick buck. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking to invest and I'm looking to utilize. And, you know, when we were looking for locations, we wanted a good location that was close to uh, easily accessible from, you know, uh, a major thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. Um, but also it just made sense because Garfield Park Conservatories, Bees, uh, Sweet Beginnings, Chicago Honey Co-op, mm-hmm. it's all had, it's all touched upon, if not still uh, in th- those those west side roots, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. I think that was one of the things that really drew us to there. That's cool. For sure, yeah. That's cool. So it's like building trust, too, because yeah. they know, like, oh, you're not just trying to get cheap rent or whatever. You're like, right, you right. Know. It's <laughs> it's the bee guy, yeah. you know. Yeah, um, that's cool. You played rugby with one of your staff members. Did, did you play rugby with him and then he became part of the shop? Or? Yeah, played played rugby with him. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he's he's uh, comes in and d- does some hours and we're training him up as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those, yeah, that's a... It's all these different families, you know, that you get kind of tied into, and uh, rugby is its own unique and uh, amazing family in its own right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it's one of those things that uh, I think that's one that that's something that I'm very proud about. Is I, I I pride myself in the fact that we've been able to support other people through our store, and you know, I I don't know if we'll ever be profitable or you know really you know i if if i'll make uh, uh money out of it we'll 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 see but is it a non-profit or a for-profit it's a for-profit mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. coming from the the non-for-profit side it was like nope we're gonna do it this way i, yeah. I just didn't want to be yeah. tied to grants and right. and have you know begging for money yeah <laughs> fundraisers right. to run your retail operation. <laughs> sure. And, you know, I mean, Sweet Beginnings is is its own fantastic uh, beekeeping organization that is a nonprofit and brings people that uh, would, wouldn't otherwise have normal uh, entrances back into the workforce, uh, gives them a lifeline. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. You know, it's even though uh, you wouldn't think it, you know, mm-hmm. beekeepers have their own little territory that have that's been kind of uh yeah. demarcated so i don't want to don't want to step yeah. on any we, we can all get along right and not for profits do too because they're all competing, competing for the yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so, so yeah. let me let me just see if i can do this the old-fashioned way but you talk about that um you know you don't want to step on people's toes and there is the the different lineation there but i found that in the beekeeping community people are so happy to share mm-hmm. you know they really do if you ask any beekeeper a question they will give you their answer and 20 more like it's just right. really mm-hmm. a lovely community to be yeah. a part of and mm-hmm. nobody's saying oh no I'm not telling you what my beekeeping secrets are because that's my beekeeping right. secret they're mm-hmm. not they're like hey I discovered this yeah um do you want to try it as well <laughs> yeah sure and, and I and I totally agree and I, I think um the more that we can foster that culture uh, all the better um and and it's definitely par for course in the sense that you ask a beekeeper a question and you know 
all of a sudden, 45 minutes have gone by. And <laughs> so, okay, well. And you're talking about rugby. <laughs> right. <laughs> I need to get back to the bees. <laughs> But now I know more that I don't know. And, right. Uh, yeah. That didn't clarify anything. I only have more questions about what I'm supposed to do. Yeah, right. Completely confusing. <laughs> oh, I remember when we were there, I was looking around. Did, was, did I see a Buddha up on top of the... Yeah. What's, yeah. what's the story? So that? that's uh, from uh, Dangerfield. Uh, the, one Dangerfield. Of, Dangerfield. Yeah, yes. Them. Yes. Yeah. If, you, if you've been to the Hive, yeah. then you know Dangerfield. Uh, and he was really he's an employee. Or, yeah, he's uh-huh. he, he's basically become the the building because we we did purchase the entire building. Oh. Uh, my partner uh, John Hansen and I, um, so we bought uh, the the building, and yeah, it was he was he's two doors down, and mm-hmm. he would see us more more than anyone else because he's mm-hmm. you know walking around and you know he's in, in his uh, uh, mid sixties and 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 it was like this gentleman that just kind of adopted the store and. <laughs> You know, fostered it along, so now it's just like he's he's a part of it. He's a he's a fixture for sure. Um, but yeah, that was that was his decor that he added to it. You know, right. little little trinkets that he he leaves behind and tries to remind me. You know, be peaceful, be be peaceful. That's That's you know. Great. Well, I wish you all the luck with the store. It's really it's a great resource. You. you know, for us as uh, I still consider myself a novice beekeeper, uh, four or five years into it. And just having a spot to go to and just like in a panic, especially in the spring and summer when you're just like, I need this now. Like I can't wait for Amazon to ship it to me. Like I really need it right now or else our bees are going to swarm onto our neighbor's fence. (laughs) Which which... still happened. (laughs) At least we had the box to put them in once we captured them. Well, and not only that, but, you know, to to go in and talk to someone. And I think that's that's more uh, what we're catered toward. Not only is it a resource to get the equipment itself, but, you know, hopefully it's a resource to bounce those questions off of other beekeepers, you know, that uh, have had those experiences and, and can reassure strategy and <laughs> an exercise and a lack of total control. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, gloves or no gloves? No gloves. Oh, mm. I want to be that person. I no, tried. No I got gloves. stung. One time. I tried one time. I got stung. It put me off. No gloves, no veil. What? Uh, yeah. No nothing? No. Do you have hair? No. But I do wear a hat. Uh, yeah. Um, the, the the beard they is a bit. The beard, the beard uh, provides a, a bit of protection. Yeah. If you know they're going. Um, Why no veil? Well, um, it's hot. <laughs> That's so. <laughs> you can't wipe the sweat no, off. No, no. You can't scratch yeah. your nose. And uh, really you know, when when I first started in the city um, at Garfield Park, everyone you know would have their veil and their gloves and. You know, I think I wanted to kind of perhaps Im- impress, so I started with veil and no gloves, and they were like, "Oh, gloveless! Wow! Oh, that's mm. oh, oh!" And then uh, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, work with a German beekeeper in Germany, mm. a master beekeeper, uh, Thomas Kirsten, um, in the Eiffel region, which was amazing and. Could do a, a separate podcast on that. Uh, he's not like a yogi, too, is he? No, he's okay. no. no. There's a movie I saw, <laughs> Queen of the Sun. I don't know if he's from the it. same ilk ish. Okay, yeah. Not, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm talking. You're right. About. <laughs> I do. I do. Um, it's a but guy who like meditates by the bees and doesn't wear any. Yeah, he's got these uh, like silk yoga pants. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> okay. It's a to- guy. Thomas, uh, <laughs> Thomas would. Uh, you know, my first day beekeeping with him, and I got my smoker and I've got my veil. 
Um, my hive tool was unfortunately confiscated in, in uh, Amsterdam. Uh, they wouldn't let me travel with it, which it's like I traveled from the States and now I'm in Amsterdam and you won't let me take a, a hive tool. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, oh, you might pry the... <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> but um, he he started beekeeping or, or started the smoker and was getting ready to go into a hive and didn't have anything on. And I was just kind of like... Okay, he's doing it. Uh, uh, all right, okay, you don't want to look silly, right? right? The whole thing. No, it, it it was one of the. But you know, I think because I do a lot of education, it it even further puts the point across that bees don't want to sting. Mm-hmm. So you know, especially mm-hmm. when I'm talking to kids and I'm have tens of thousands of bees around me, mm-hmm. uh, and they're not you know going after me or doing that. It has has a little bit more impactful mm-hmm. resonance, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I'll try again. Your thoughts on the. What's it called? Um, the flow hive. Oh, the flow hive. Yeah, thoughts, yay or nay. Thoughts on the flow hive. This um, is the hive that um, came out a couple years ago as a Kickstarter or something, and it's the hive that you can access honey, you can harvest honey without opening the hive because of the technology mm-hmm. of the way it it. Buy some Aussies, right? Right? Oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, just wa- I, just, I just wanted to get you going, actually. Um, <laughs> no, I... I I think here's here's my take on it. It's a it's an interesting idea. I think it's a little bit uh, putting the cart before the horse type of, type of uh, scenario though because it it makes beginners and people un- unfamiliar with bee- bees think that they can you know, oh I can be a beekeeper I can have this uh, instant gratification of getting the honey just by turning a, a valve right. Um, but I think it also lends itself to uh, a lot of swarming behavior uh, because it mm, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. because you are supposed to use a queen excluder, um, you know, and also um, by using a queen excluder, you're you're making the queen stay in a, a certain location uh, or part of the hive, and so you're you're taking out some access for the queen, um, and then also whether or not you know it it will be beneficial to the bees if you're, you know, all of a sudden, you know, turning a valve and deconstructing their, their comb. Uh, I, I think it's, I think it's a good idea in theory, but one mm-hmm. of those things that, you know, I think it opens up a lot of, um, probabilities as well. Um, well, and they sold like, yeah, many, that's the thing. What, the Kickstarter thousands? went crazy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, put a video online and the Kickstarter just boom through the roof. And I think they raised, you know, millions of dollars. Uh, and then they had to put out a product. So I don't think the product, you know, just, you yeah. know, yourselves. I mean, the, the first product or the first run of things that you, right. you try to put out as, as the end is never the end product. There's always ways that you can, you can make it better. And I think, uh, you know, maybe in a few years they have something that's a little bit more sustainable, a little bit more um, cost effective, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe we'll have, you know, it won't be the rage and people will know how to utilize that tool more efficiently, I hope. But I would say stick to being a, you know, or start your beekeeping experience with uh, the normal tools of the trade or mm-hmm. the, the contemporary tools of the trade mm-hmm. um, that have been proven. Mm-hmm. And then when you want to branch off, like many other areas of beekeeping, once you're comfortable, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it's an interesting, like, twist of uh, what your approach is or what your goal is too because I know when I started beekeeping I was thinking about honey mm-hmm. 
And now I'm thinking about, can I make the hive make it through the winter? And what do I need to do that? And can we start, you know, splitting our own hives? Yeah. And it becomes more about how do I sustain the whole system? Not just like, I want honey, I want honey, I right. want honey. You right, know? right. <laughs> we are not beers. <laughs> right. And harnessing those expectations too. Of, oh, I'm going to be a beekeeper and I'm going to have all my honey and I'm going to do this and this and this and mm-hmm. give it to all my friends and family. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and instead, it's it's more of um, you know how can I how can I keep the bees around mm-hmm. you know, um, and and that that is absolutely the end goal mm-hmm. is to you know have that winter survival rate keep going up, um, and I think you know that's why we need more continued education mm-hmm. um, because everybody can be a beginning beekeeper, mm-hmm. uh, and we have lots of them now. We need more uh, established and knowledgeable beekeepers that are continuing that education. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. My friend in Maine, who's a beekeeper, said, "You need. I'm wanting you to be a beekeeper, not a beehaver. Right. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of beehavers, you can have mm-hmm. them for the year, yep. um, but then I want you to be a beekeeper. Exactly. You've got them the next year as well. <laughs> right. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, Naaman is certainly a beekeeper. He is. And He's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks for sitting down and talking to us. Thanks so much for having in me. In my hot but not too hot. Not too hot. No. Comfortable. Yeah. Everybody's comfortable. Yeah. Good. Well, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. To hear more episodes featuring interviews with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement, and to read my essays on everything from zucchini to zen, visit dharmaonthefarm.com. Until next time, farm on. <laughs>